morning, Life Center. How is everybody doing today? If you're on Facebook Live with us, welcome. If you're physically here, welcome. <laughs> this is a tough crowd this morning. How's everybody doing? <laughs> All right, that's better. So we're going to fi finalize our family. How many of you guys have enjoyed family feud at church? Who knew, right? Who knew? So I guess I got to ask the question, does it make you a little bit nervous when Pastor Scott on a video says, we're doing something we've never done before. I mean, are you a little, little bit nervous? It's going to be exciting. Make sure you're tracking what's going on with all that. So we've got two more contestants coming up to finalize this last uh, Family Feud episode. So let's give it up for Kendall and Cecia. So we've had uh, a, a menagerie of contestants. We had uh, a couple of guys the first week, very handsome gentlemen. We had a couple of wonderful ladies uh, last week, and now we have a couple of wonderful college students. So this one we picked, we saved the hardest question for last because we clearly have the brains up here today. All right, so... Here we go. We're going to start with a question, and the question is, what is the most bizarre opinion of how God sees you? Ready? You got the question? Read it one more time. What is the most bizarre opinion of how God sees you? And? <laughs> Come on, you guys aren't shooting for the buzzers here. <laughs> Let's go. Thank you. That was very close. Wow. Man. All right. So you understand the question. There seems to be some hesitation here. <laughs> what is the most bizarre thought you have of how God views you? Okay. So, and the survey says? Um, broken. 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 I believe that's one of the questions. There we go. All right, so you get to go again. The crowd's cheering for you. You're, you're on, a, on a roll here. That was number seven. Okay. How about, come on, think about how God sees you on your good day, how you think God sees you great on your bad day. How you, Come on, along those lines. Someone's throwing, all right, what was it? Blessed, blessed. Oh. Okay, so there's it seems to be a theme here, right? A lot of people must view, think God views them negatively. All right, so how's that help? Now let's go. So you get to go again. Oh, I was wrong. It was your turn again. No, it was yours. Sorry, I'm I'm getting confused. Now. Unworthy. Unworthy. Good. 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 Let's check unworthy. You got it. Very good. All right, keep going. You're you're you do. You're on the roll. <laughs> Well, you got a lot of hungry people out there, so you need to speed that up. All right. Self-centered. Self-centered. That's a good one. How are we doing? Second one. Look at that. You're killing it. All right. All right. Keep going. Keep going. They're throwing answers. Center. God views me as a sinner. 
How are we there? Well, nobody thinks they're sinners. <laughs> All right, so it's your turn, Cecia. One more answer. If it's wrong, then that's it. If it's right, we got more. Oh, she's got one now. Greedy. Is greedy one? Oh, all right. Let's walk through these. What's our first one? Failure, unfit for blessing. That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. Number three. What does that look like? So abused his grace or, or, or forgiveness, right? So sometimes we feel like we've just taken advantage of God is what that one means. Number four. What do we got on number four? Destined for greatness. There was a good one in there. Somebody feels good about that. His precious child, another positive one in there. And last one is an indecisive creature. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. You are fantastic contestants. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause. All right. So that was a little tough. And I think the reason why that one was a little harder than the first couple is because when we talk about how we think God views us, you're starting to get really into a very personal interpretation of how you view that. And so we're going to unpack that today. And as, as funny or sad as, <laughs> as some of those answers may be, I, I really believe, and as we go through this today, I think you will agree with me that how we see God viewing us really impacts how we respond to other people. And if you're going to doze through the course of this message, I'll just go ahead and give you the key point right here so, so you can at least take the key point home. How does my belief of how God views me affect the way I treat others, right? Because we've been talking through the last couple of weeks, these, these family feud issues relate to how we treat our family, how we handle our emotions, and how we treat other people. So in that same vein, we're going to talk about why it matters how we feel that God views us. And I hope by the end of today, you will get a, a very strong appreciation because for that concept, it's very important how we believe God views us. Look at your neighbor and say, it's important. So let's start, since we're talking about God things, let's start in a good place. We'll start with the Bible. That's a good place to start, right? We'll figure out what God thinks about us. So what does the scripture say about God's view of me, about us, about mankind. So let's start in Psalms, the 139th chapter of the book of Psalms. This is a fascinating chapter, several verses we're going to read together here. If you have a Bible, you should probably highlight this. If you're taking notes, you should write it down, because when you're having a bad day, this is a great scripture to go through. The psalmist wrote it this way, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. The author is clearly unpacking something here. He is aware. He's very aware of God's role in appointing every part that made him a person, right? God is involved in that creation. Verse 14, he says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. When we, he realized that not only was God the key to his creation, but he had a heart of gratitude. He, wouldn't, he didn't say, you know, God, I just wish, I, I'm glad you made me, but I sure wish you would have made me with arms like Chris. <laughs> right? Or, or I, I wish you would have just made me smart like Pastor Scott. Right? And that's not what he said. He said, thank you 
because I realize I'm very wonderfully complex. Ask my wife. I'm definitely wonderfully complex. That was a joke. <laughs> Verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. So this is awesome how it's written. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Pay attention to this. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Talk about how God views you. You're created, knit together, perfectly formed and fashioned. And before you ever cried your first cry, there's a book that God had written with you in it with a purpose and a plan for your life. So he realizes the role that God had in his creation, but he also realizes that God created him for a purpose, and he acknowledges the significance of his life, the importance and the value of his life that was designed by God. Let me tell you something. When you come to that realization, it can transform your life. When you realize that you were created by God on purpose for a specific reason with destiny woven into the fabric of your DNA, then you know that you matter. And that's important. And I tell you, that will revolutionize and transform your life. And, and it affects people. Everybody is searching for meaning. Everyone is searching for why am I here, right? Uh, several years ago in, in 2002, uh, Rick Warren, a pastor of, of a church in Lake, Ho uh, Lake Forest, California, he wrote a book. You may have heard of the book. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. You heard of the book? It's been around for a while, since 2002. That book topped the Wall Street Journal bestseller charts charts as well as Publishers Weekly for over 30 million copies sold by 2007. It hit, the, it hit the New York Times bestseller list for over 90 weeks. By this year, 32 million copies have been sold in more than 85 languages. That book kind of flipped things on its ear. Why? Because the thing that came from that is Christian, unbeliever, uh, person, doesn't matter, race, creed, culture, everybody wants to know why they exist. Everybody wants to know that when I wake up on Monday morning to go to work, it matters to someone, right? So we, the people, wrote that in place, right? We said that by our actions, by a book that was written. Verse 17, he says, how precious, I love this, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. The author came to realize that God does view him, is aware of him. And he says, I realize that the thoughts you think about me, God, are not negative thoughts. They're precious thoughts. They're thoughts of life and future and purpose and destiny and design. Amen. It's amazing. Where would David derive the author the psalmist, where would he derive such an idea that God was so intricately involved in his own design and his creation? Let's start at the beginning. I'm going to take you through the entire Bible today. Just kidding. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In his own, at the very core of our design, the blueprint of who we are is God's fingerprint. We're created in his image. In Genesis 5, 1, it says, In the likeness of God made he man. The word likeness there means the same thing as facsimile, similitude. It means a person or thing that is like the other, a match, a counterpart. 
It's a picture of representation. So in other words, he made us in his own configuration, in his likeness, in his image, in his countenance. Think about that. It's amazing that God would create us in that way. Psalms 8, 5, for thou hast made man a little lower than the angels. I want you to understand something here. The word angels there is actually comes from a Hebrew word, which actually is translated as God, which is used in Genesis 1 and 1 when it says, in the beginning was God. So basically, you could the, the translation deteriorated over time, but basically what he was saying is man was created just a little bit lower than God himself. We are the prized possession of God's own hand. So when you look at someone and you want to call them an idiot, you're calling God an idiot. So you might want to think about that for a bit because we are image bearers. Okay, I'll speed through that because that was really hard. Establishing a clear understanding of how God views you can be transformational. Why? Because in spite of my failure, failures, my struggles, my brokenness, my issues, my habits, my problems, my I don't like this about myself, in spite of all that, God created me just like him. <laughs> That's amazing. That is incredible. So he can change your mind. You do not have to accept lies that are spoken over you or about you. You'll always be a crazy hot mess. It's not true. It's not true. You'll always be a failure and unfit, unfit for, the, for God's blessings in your life. Also not true. That is not what God thinks at all. You are just a try-hard, indecisive, and broken. Also not true. That is not how God views you. You're never going to live up to your potential. That is also not true. You do not have to be a failure. Regardless of what was spoken over you, those are not the thoughts that God has, has thought about you. Those are not the th plans that God has for you. That is not who you are according to God. Let me just explain this to you. If we're created in the image of God, just a little bit lower than God, then he's got plans for us. Big plans for us. Life-changing plans for us. That's why he calls us salt and light. We're meant to change the world we live in because we are created in the image of God. How does a wrong view of myself or how I think God views me, how is a wrong view of that created, uh, create an impact on how I treat other people? It's this. Wrong view creates wrong action. Wrong view creates wrong action. Why does it matter what God thinks of me? Here's why. If I'm honest about this question, that's why this question was hard for people to answer. Because when you unpack this question, when we think about how God views us, most of the time, and I think the survey would, get, would, would make this true, most of the time we view it from the perspective of our weaknesses that we feel about ourselves. So if I know that I have a problem telling the truth, then I'm going to assume that God views me as a liar. If I have a problem with my anger, then I'm going to assume that God views me as an angry person, right? So this is, if you're honest, this is very intricate to who you are as a person. If I'm foolish, selfish, overwhelmed, I don't love myself, all these things are how we perceive God viewing us. So if our actions are born from the heart of how we perceive ourselves, what does that look like? If I believe I'm foolish, then my actions will often prove that to be a fact, right? If I believe that I am selfish, there'll be no surprise when our close relationships bear the damaging marks of selfishness, right? 
If I don't love myself, those that love me the most will struggle the hardest against that barrier. Because when I can't love me, I can't receive love very well at all. That's why it's important how we see God viewing us because what that really is doing is shining a light into the deep area of our heart which reveals how we really see ourselves. Well, that doesn't matter, Pastor Andrew. Oh, I, I beg to differ. I think it matters a whole lot. There's a saying that says, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. What that means is, from my heart, how I view myself, my actions begin to display how I view myself. If I hate myself, don't find it odd that I don't love on people very well. right? If I can't forgive myself, don't be surprised when I hold grudges like a bear trap. Right? Does this make sense to you? So that's why this matters. It's not, this is not a, a mental exercise. This is not a power of positive thinking. This is not, oh, if I just think good, happy thoughts, I'm going to be good and happy. No, 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 no. It's much, much deeper than that. And I'm going to help you understand from a biblical perspective how you fight this demon. Right? Because everybody in this room, everybody in this room struggles in some capacity with something of this nature. We all do. The guy that is the most confident guy in the room and just exudes confidence and, and stature and everything every other guy wants to be behind that curtain is something that is weak, shaky, and frail. Right? We just learn how to hide it. But you see, we don't serve a God who is all about rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, right? It's going down regardless. No. He wants to know what's bringing the ship down. Let's talk about that. What's under the surface? Let's address that because if, if we let God heal us, we don't have to fake it on the outside. From in here will flow the goodness of God. I like how the scripture says it. From your belly will flow rivers of living water. That's pretty legit, right? That means from inside of me, good stuff's just coming out. It's not forced. It's not practiced. It's not made up. It's coming from a well. I like how the scripture uses a river, right? Because a river doesn't just... It just doesn't pop up, right? Something's feeding it. It's not a puddle that eventually dries up when the sun gets hot. No, it's got a source. It has a source. So right view creates right action. Right view creates right actions. Galatians chapter 5. This is just amazing. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this. Kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That pretty much sums me up. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I struggle with the first one. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is why we talk about the Holy Spirit here so much. Because if you'll notice, it doesn't say you can do this by just practicing. No. It says the only way to really have these kind of attributes in your life is when the Holy Spirit is living on the inside because it's the Holy Spirit that produces this. It produces that kind of fruit. It produces that kind of evidence. So if you're struggling with being kind, you need the Holy Spirit on the inside because that's what produces kindness. If you have a problem being gentle... 
You need more of the Holy Spirit because that's what produces gentleness. The only way we can truly... Now watch. When God created Adam, he created him perfect. But that all fell apart. And so you and I, we're just a hodgepodge mess of broken stuff. And try as we might, we have such a hard time doing the right thing. Right? We're just broken. But God's plan is to put us back where we started. So this Holy Spirit that's working in me is not just trying to get rid of my bad habits. It's actually trying to recreate me into the person, the first man that God ever created that was perfect in his image. This is a journey. The Holy Spirit is making me the way I'm supposed to be. That's pretty amazing. And so when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we start to begin slowly to see the changes and the attributes of our life. Things that used to make us mad, I don't make us mad as much anymore. Things that used to, to, used to fly off the handle about, you learn how not to do that because something inside of us is toning that down. It's reshaping us. It's reforming us into the image of God. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says it this way, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, everybody, who with unveiled faces, what he means, what the author means here by unveiled faces is unashamed. So the Spirit of the Lord brings freedom, which takes our shame away. And by having our shame removed, we contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is what gives the right kind of fruit. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, and it's changing us and transforming us. It's, it, it says we're being transformed, which means it happens every single day. It's a work in progress. Today I lose it. Tomorrow I don't. The Holy Spirit's working in me. It doesn't make me perfect overnight. It puts me on a path to perfection. It puts me on the path to actually be what the scripture says that I can be. It actually puts me on a journey that says, you know what? You may mess up, but I've got better plans for you. You are not the failure. You are not a hot mess. You are not an angry human. You are not a broken individual. You are being put back together because you are allowing the spirit of God to work inside of you. Back to our original design. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 48 says it this way, as was the earthly man, this earthly man here is talking about Adam or all of mankind. Paul says, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. So in other words, we're all created and, and descendants from Adam, right? So we're all humans. We're all mankind. He says, as the heavenly man, and he's talking about Jesus here. And if you look in, if you're studying the scripture, you find in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47, that the Bible refers to Jesus as the second Adam. Why would he do that? Why, why would the author write it that way? Because Adam was created by the hand of God. He was perfect. Pre-sin, he was perfect. Just a little bit lower than God. In fact, if you read in the, Genesis, in, in the book of Genesis, you find that God would come down into the garden and would commune with Adam, which I don't know how that looked, have no idea, but I understand the words, the description, the, 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 picture, the picture that the author is painting here. And that looks like to me, Adam's chilling out in a beautiful place. And God puts on a form and just comes and steps with him and says, let's walk through this garden. Let's talk about life. That's the first Adam. Everything went to hell in the handbasket, literally. And then 
mankind was broken. There was no chance of redemption. There was no hope until the second Adam, who is Jesus. And why does that matter? Because Jesus does not know sin either. So just like before Adam sinned, now we have the entrance of the second Adam, who is Jesus, who represents all that's perfect without sin. The Bible says he was tempted, just like you and I are, with all the things in life that bring temptation, but he did it without failing. He did it without sinning. So he's the second Adam. So he says, um, he says, the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, we all look like people, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Okay, Paul's writing can get very confusing. Here's Andrew's version, very simple. We're all people, right? We all have our issues. We all have our problems. The Bible says there's a better way, and because I'm following Christ, because I have the Holy Spirit living in me, I can be like Christ. Simple, right? Simple. Very hard. Simple. <laughs> I say this all the time around here. It's easy to find salvation. It is hard to be a good Christ follower because it's changing everything about us because we were not wired this way. So the Holy Spirit is disconnecting this one, plugging it over here where it's supposed to be, disconnecting this one, plugging it over here where it's supposed to be, and then we have a bad day, someone cuts us off, and we pull all the wires back out. That's how it works, right? <laughs> and it starts back over again. We need a little more Holy Spirit. Okay, let's plug the red one into, yeah, right? You track it, right? That's what happens. He's constantly working in us. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, and this is, I, I don't think I can overemphasize how critical this is in our everyday walk. I just gave you a pretty significant Bible study that we just went through really fast. It's like the cliff notes, but it's very complicated, but yet it all weaves together. If we rewind this thing to the start, God had created everything. Everything was created except for a creature that was almost equal to the creator. Think about this. Everything in the earth was perfect. Every, every, um, every animal, every species of the smallest little fly in Africa... Every single moving thing. What's fascinating about the first Adam is when God created everything, the entire earth, I would venture to say there were species then that we don't have now. Who really knows? But the Bible tells us that God created Adam at the end. That was his last creation. Formed him from the dust of the earth. And then unlike any other creature that he created, the Bible says he breathed the breath of life into Adam and he became a living soul. No other part of creation was done that way. The angels in heaven were not created that way. And then, because, because God had such big plans for his prized creation, the only thing that was created just a little bit lower than the creator himself, he said, Adam, here's what I need you to do. I'm going to place you in the earth and I'm going to give you charge or dominion. The Bible uses the word dominion, which means authority. I'm basically putting you in charge of everything in the earth. In fact, I want you to name every living beast. You realize scientists are still discovering species of things? They uncovered a cave 
a few years ago never had been discovered before. This underground cave with a, a, a river in it. They started doing research and they found species in there they've never seen before. I'm trying to give you context. If we believe the Bible to be accurate, Adam named every single creature. My point in saying all that is, God didn't make a man, breathe life into him, and he's like, me, man, you, God. <laughs> no. He created a superhuman just beneath the creator himself. This is why we spend time preaching about the Holy Spirit. This is why we preach against sin. Because sin is what has broken us down so much that we are so far from that first Adam that we can't really even recognize it. So we walk, I need somebody to listen. So we walk around in life. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm never going to be anything more than what I am today. I'll never really make a difference. I just exist. None of those things are how God created you. Nor will they ever be how God created you. We are left to our own devices. We will destroy ourselves. History proves it time after time after time. We must engage and connect with our creator because without him, we do not know what we are created to be. I don't know who I am without Christ. I don't know what I am without Christ. But when I have the Holy Spirit, when I have the Holy Spirit working in me, then I start to realize, man, I, I got to tell myself, this has been a few years ago and I have never forgotten it. I was driving on a two-lane road, came up to an intersection. I was going about 50 miles an hour. And someone did a right on red. And I'm, I'm like from here to the, the, to the street, and I'm zipping. And a car, bloop, and they're going two, right? And I'm telling you what, I, I, let, I let them know I love Jesus. I blew the horn. I'm like, and the car like swerves and then pulls over. And when I passed the car, God being my witness, that lady was probably 85 years old. I had my wife in the car. I had my three kids in the car. And guess who felt like a real moron? Not the lady. Me. I have never forgotten. It's been years ago. I still have a feeling right now when I tell that story. Because there is nothing that is so contrary that's just a raw evidence of who we are without Christ. And I hope I always feel guilty about that action. Because that's telling me there. Paul says it this way. There's a war in my body. Good is always, it's there. I'm wanting to pursue it. But every time I try to do the right thing, the wrong thing just pops up. Because I'm broken. I'm damaged. Adam's little deed in the garden was not something, oh, great, now I have to work the rest of my life. No, it was so much greater than that. He broke humanity. Sin broke us. We don't know who we are without Christ. And even when we find Christ, we have such a hard time yielding to what he's doing us because we feel like we're being reprimanded all the time. Oh, you did that wrong. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is... 
there's so much better for you than what you're doing. I don't think of you like this. Why do you think of you like this? Let me tell you something. If we could somehow flip this, if we were created in such a, a state of godly perfection originally, and we've so digressed because of sin and everything that's gone wrong with us, doesn't it make sense that, that God would try to change our view of ourselves so that we could see ourselves how he sees us? Wouldn't it make sense that God would guide us? You know, the scripture said, Pastor Scott mentioned this last week, whom God loves, he chastises. He disciplines. As a parent, you discipline your kid because you know if you don't keep them in a direction, they're going to just get into all kinds of stuff, right? Nobody likes to be corrected. But when you flip this over and you realize the reason why God is telling you this is because, oh, what you can be if you just let me have a work with you. Oh, what you can do if you just let me put my hands inside your life and transform you. Oh, what you can change if you let me just influence you and let the Holy Spirit grow this fruit. Oh, man. The biggest lie I believe that's ever been conceived out of the pit of hell. We'll never be good enough, clean enough, righteous enough. We'll never be better than our last failure, our last mistake, our addiction, our vice. We will never really be the kind of person that God designed us to be. As long as we listen to that voice, as long as we hear that in our, in our mind, we'll never really be able to love people like we could love them. We'll never really have the marriage we could have. We'll never have the relationship with our children that we could have. We'll never have the family environment we could have. We'll never be able to be everything that God intends us to be. But when we let the Holy Spirit work in us, why do we fight so hard against the one who is putting us together? Why do we fight so hard against the one that has a plan for us? Why do we fight so hard against the one that loves us the way he loves us? Stand with me this morning. I hope, I hope that this is resonating with you today. I know it is with me. When I was... I. When I was working on this, I'd work on it for a while and I'd leave. <laughs> I'd work on it for a while, I'd, I'd leave. <laughs> I'd come back to it and I'd leave again because I just realized what a fool I am sometimes. It's not just fancy words to say, God's got a great plan for you. <laughs> it's so much more than that. He does have a great plan for you. He doesn't want you to struggle with the thing that continually drags you down. God's got a big plan for you. Are you going to have hardship in life? Yes, this is not an excuse for life, right? But this gives us purpose, meaning, value. Look at your neighbor in the eye and say, you matter. Thank you again for being here and looking forward to next Sunday. Remember Pastor Scott's announcement? We're kicking off a brand new series. It's going to be amazing, and we want to see you and every chair filled next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great week.